there's been a song that's gone through my head really all week long. Tell me the story of Jesus. Right on my heart, every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever would heard, was heard. How do you tell the story of the darkest day in human history? How do you describe exactly what happened? Everyone in this room knows the story of how Jesus was killed on a cross. I could tell you of the trial, the illegality of it. I could tell you of the beatings, the nails. I could tell you the details of how painful his death was. I could tell you of the sword in his side. Do you know the story? And you've probably heard it so much that you may be a little callous to it. And I don't say that to be ugly. I say that because it's the truth. We take the Lord's Supper, which we just did, and we kind of hurry through it sometimes. We take the bread, we, we eat it, we drink the fruit of the vine. And we're so concerned about everything else around us that we often don't remember exactly why he established the Lord's Supper was for us to remember that. There are even those who think that the cross is a fairy tale. That it never really happened. It's a wonderful story. That Jesus wasn't really who he said he was. Nice guy, maybe. Prophet, uh, okay, maybe. Messiah, hmm, I don't think so. Again, to the people in this room, I don't think that's necessarily an issue. But it's interesting to me, even though it doesn't seem very important to many now, but when you look at the history and you look at the paintings and you look at all of the stuff, the writings and the obsession with where he walked, it gives us pause to think that really did happen. I read this week about the archaeological findings of Jesus and his death. Where was he crucified? Of course, Golgotha, the the place of the skull, there are any number of places that people have claimed with this is the place and this is the place. And I often wonder if we're more concerned about the place where Jesus was crucified rather than Jesus' crucifixion itself. If you read the Gospels, they really spend very little time on the crucifixion. Oh yeah, they, they tell the, 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 the stories and the things that we sang about today. They tell about his, the redemption. They tell about the cross. But as far as that, that period of time where he was taken and put on a cross, they really, you could probably read through it in less than a half an hour easily. Maybe even less. 
Really, the cross shows us how fickle the, the, the crowd was. This is called Palm Sunday. This is the day that they, they fell before him and threw the palm fronds on the ground in front of him and shouted, Hosanna! But by the end of the week, they had turned against him. And this passage in Mark chapter 15, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled their insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. They hurled their insults at him. Uh, you know, the, the immediate thought that comes to mind is, is how you hurl rocks at someone. That's the way they used their insults was they hurled them at him. And they said, so you who are going to destroy the temple, show yourself now. Before you condemn the crowd for being fickle, think about how many times we've done the same thing. Hot, then cold. Zealous, then noncommittal. Yes, I believe in him. Um, I, I, I may be good at church. But I think it's important to note that Jesus felt abandoned where he was once popular and where many people believed in him, now he was no longer the talk of the town as far as he is the Messiah. They were looking for one who would ride into Jerusalem on a white horse and free them of the Roman bondage that they were under. One time Jesus told the crowd that he was the bread of life and in order to have life, in order to have eternal life, you had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. In John 6, many of the disciples says, this is a hard, hard teaching. And the Bible says that many people left him as a result of that. And Jesus turned to his apostles and he asked them, you don't want to leave too, do you? And they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. <clears throat> and even they abandoned him. He felt abandoned by God. You remember in the garden, we talked about this last week in Gethsemane. He cried out, Abba, Father. And we said that's the most familiar term, Abba. And yet on the cross, what term did he use? Eloi, Eloi. A more formal way of calling to God. He felt abandoned by God. And of course, because of that, he felt lonely. You can be lonely in a crowd, can't you? If you don't believe that, go to a cafeteria or a restaurant sometime and sit down and eat by yourself with a whole crowd around you and everybody talking and conversing and you all by yourself. 
He had been forsaken by his apostles, whom he had just spent three years with. And we blame Peter for leaving him, and we're hard on Peter, and yet the scripture says, and so did the rest. They all left him. And he's standing there alone, and even Peter denied him, and Jesus predicted that. And at the cross, there are only a few women. One of them happened to be Jesus' mother and John himself. But he felt betrayed. Have you ever felt betrayed? He ate the Passover meal with Judas. He washed the feet of Judas. Judas comes to Jesus with a crowd ready for a fight. And he kisses him on the cheek and says, Jesus says to Judas, do what you came to do. Do you betray me with a kiss? The cross is mentioned 17 times, the word cross, in the New Testament, other than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know there are some other passages that refer to his crucifixion and and other passages that talk about that. But the cross itself is mentioned 17 times. One of the examples that we talk about here is one verse that we use all the time. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live now in the body, I will live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucified with Christ. As I said, there are 17 passages. I don't want to read every one of them, but I do want to read a number of them. Because you see, I I really feel extremely inadequate when it comes to tell you the story of the cross. And so I thought it would be better to let the scripture do that. If you want to, you can close your eyes and listen. You can write them down. You can look them up. If you write them down, go home and listen to them, write them, talk to them, talk about them, read them, ruminate, but listen right now. From Philippians chapter 3. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I think this is a sad scripture. 
in one sense. Many live as enemies of the cross. You know people that live as enemies of the cross. And if we're entirely honest, some of us have done the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Ain't that the truth? I mean, you, you think about it. The God of, of the creation, the one who made all things, he sent Jesus, his only son, as a lamb of God to die for the sins of the world, that you, that I might live. Why did he do that? That sounds entirely foolish. And to a lot of people in the world, because it's foolish, they won't accept it. But we do. It may sound foolish, but it is the redemption that we need. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I love that word reconciliation. And we take that word reconcile and cross and put them together and it makes a joyful noise. He reconciles us. It's what the story of the Bible is from the very beginning from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through. It is the story of God reconciling us, of bringing us back together. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's verse 11 through 18. Somebody is not a very good typist. <laughs> Me. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Let me, let me just stop right there. To me, to think about what it's like not to have any hope. To think about what it's like to not have God. He said, that's the situation that you found yourselves in. But, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. 
And He came and He preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We are all invited into the household of God. This reconciliation again by the cross. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 2. You didn't know there are 32 ver- uh, chapters in 1 Peter. Cindy will tell you, I went to her about three or four times. Okay, no, I made a mistake on that one. Uh, uh, obviously, I didn't clear go clear through. There it is again. When they hurled their insults at him. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And instead, and I think this is a key, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He himself bore our sins on the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, I got one right there. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins And having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them by the cross. The cross is a symbol of triumph, not of shame. It is a a symbol of winning and not of losing. And he says he nailed our sins. And finally, this passage from Galatians chapter 6. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus through which the world has been crucified to me. There's a lot of boasting that goes on in the world. And Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of Jesus. There is no way I could have stood here before you today and said, let me tell you about Golgotha. Let me tell you about the cross. Oh, I I could have told you the story. I could have done that. But no one does it better than the Scripture that says here is how important the cross was. And the exciting thing about this, we talked last week about Gethsemane, we talked today about Golgotha, but next week we talk about the resurrection. And it just ties everything up in the bundle that says you are loved and you are saved. We're going to sing a song right now.
Our shepherds and their wives will be in the back. Some of you, some of you need to quit living as enemies of the cross. You need to quit that. You see, it was an expensive price. The Bible says you were bought with a price. And I know what that price was. But our shepherds and their wives will be in the back. If you want to visit with them and pray with them, they'd be more than happy to do that. If you want to respond to the invitation in any way, we're going to sing a song that, that's very, very appropriate in need because we are in need of his saving grace. So let's stand and sing.